You know, we always have um, a lot of great things going on at Grace. I just want to make sure you guys know always. You can always go to gracewire.com. That's probably the most um, complete list of things that we have going on in the different ministries, the different ideas. We can touch on a few. On Sundays, you might see some in your bulletin or a card, but the website is literally the best place. You're like, hey, I wonder when that one thing is. Go to the website. I wonder uh, who might be going to that. Go to the website. But we have a couple this morning. Uh, Today, we're going to have a baptism orientation after the service. If God's been tugging on your heart to be baptized, maybe he's been tugging for a couple years, or maybe he's been tugging for a couple minutes. We just believe here at Grace that baptism is a way for us to publicly say, I've decided to follow Jesus. My life is his. He's my Lord and Savior. And sharing that with our Grace family, with our church family, just saying, hey, I want you guys all to know that I love the Lord. I want to follow him. So if you're interested in getting more information or kind of getting plugged in with that, you can just come down front. Um, We'll be able to point you in the right direction um, if you're looking to be baptized. The second thing, maybe you saw on your way in, you saw the Hawaiian beach scene out there. I'm assuming it's Hawaii. It could be another tropical place. But uh, that's what we call our Grace Family Christmas Tree in July. This is an opportunity for us in the Christmas season. We like to take some time for our grace body to serve and to care for our own grace body. We have a lot of ministries that care for um, other people outside of our church and um, in our towns, but this is an opportunity for us to bless and care for the people in our church, people that have been serving our church, people that are connected, people that are part of our family. And so we like to give an opportunity for you guys in July, maybe when things are a little more flexible, you have a little more freedom um, in your generosity to give to that so that we can bless people come Christmas season. So if God's leading you that way, you can grab an envelope and return it to the information counter. Um, And then the last one is something that we're really excited about. It's a pretty big deal in the city of Detroit. Maybe you've heard about it before. It's called Life Remodeled. Um, It's an organization that kind of take over a whole neighborhood. They remodel schools. They update houses. They clear blight. They kind of take care of neighborhoods. It's like an all-encompassing thing. It's a week long. And so that's happening. um, I think it's, is it Denby? this year? Yeah, that's right. So we've had people go there, but the coolest thing for us is we have an opportunity to house. Um, Right now, it's about 80 young people who are coming from other places to serve on Life Remodeled. They're going to be sleeping, eating, hanging out in our building. And so we could use a ton of people to kind of help us take care of them. Like it says up there, we need housekeeping, medical, security. We got to make sure, you know, the boys and girls don't get mixed up at the wrong times. Uh, There's a breakfast crew, evening snack crew. So if you could give us uh, a couple days or a couple hours, a couple times during that week. There's a kiosk out there you can sign up. We need a lot of help. Um, we're hoping our whole family can come and just give these students that are coming to serve in Detroit a great experience. Um, so if you feel led to sign up for that, you're welcome to have an opportunity to sign up the next couple weeks. Um, and then lastly, uh, Pastor Doug's not with us today. He's um, on vacation this weekend. But just with all that's going on in our country um, over the past week or so, just the heaviness of all that, he just, God laid on his heart that he, he just wanted to communicate with us this morning, so he, um, he made a video for us, and I uh, invite you guys to watch that now. Have found 
Good morning, Grace. Hey, it's been a hard week for our country. Uh, I'm just deeply sad by the things that I've watched and just the things that I've witnessed throughout this week. Uh, it's just, it's been hard. But I want to take a minute to encourage you and a minute to challenge you. <clears throat> I want to encourage you to remember that Jesus really is the answer. Jesus really is the only answer. As we, as a people, turn towards God, things will improve. As we turn away from God, things will probably get worse. But Jesus is the answer. The question in the wake of traumas like we've experienced is, are you going to turn towards God, or are you going to turn away from God? My prayer and my heart's desire is that we as a people, we as a country, would turn our hearts back towards God in the wake of these senseless killings. And my challenge to you is to turn towards God, but to also turn towards one another. Second Corinthians tells us that we are not to be unaware of Satan's schemes, lest he outwit us. And we don't want to be outwitted by Satan, but Satan's scheme is to divide and to conquer. Satan's scheme is to turn us against one another and to watch us devour one another. And it has really felt like that's exactly what's happening. We are devouring one another. We at Grace have this powerful opportunity to live into and out of our mission here at Grace. We are a mosaic striving to live like Jesus, to think like Jesus, to love like Jesus, to serve like Jesus. And when that happens, we tell others out there that there is this opportunity to live out community across racial lines. We have this powerful picture of what the body of Christ is supposed to be right here in our midst. We cannot allow Satan to divide us. We will continue to show the world that Jesus really is the answer by the way we live our lives in community across racial lines. Hey, we're in a series in the book of the Gospel of Luke and in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, Jesus declares from Isaiah 61 that his mission is about freedom and liberation of those who are oppressed physically and oppressed spiritually, that he has come to set the captives free. Luke proceeds after chapter 4 for the next 20 chapters to show us how Jesus lived out his mission statement. And we as a church, we exist to continue the mission of Jesus. We are called on a mission of liberation, a mission of setting the captives free, a mission of, of moving into the areas of oppression and helping people to be set free. It's just a few verses later in that, that Isaiah 61 that these words are written. It says, For I, the Lord, love justice. May we be a church about doing the things that Jesus loved. May we be a church about doing justice. This morning, I want to ask everyone here just to stand. I want you to stand right now. And I want you to find somebody that you don't know, or better yet, find somebody that doesn't necessarily look like you. And I want to ask you to pray. Pray together. Pray for our country. Pray for our church. Pray for all that's going on, that God would step into, that God would make himself known. Pray for our broken political system. Pray for the body of Christ across the United States that we would step up and step into this chaos in a powerful way. 
that God would use these tragedies as a way of turning the hearts of the people back towards him. I just want to ask you to pray for a few minutes. Lord, would you bless us as we bless others? activity. watching the news and talking about it as a family and um, it's been emotional it's been difficult uh, I'm reminded of one of the words of the prophet he says not by power nor my might but by my spirit saith the Lord and it's not our best ingenuity and it's not our might that makes a difference, but it's the spirit of the living God that makes a difference to the point that we no longer know each other after the flesh, but we know each other after the spirit and that we no longer war 
after the flesh, but we war by the Spirit. You know, the truth is that our response could be more hatred. Or it could be more fear. But I don't believe that's the kingdom of God. You know, fear works itself out in many ways. I mean, I think my son leaves out my house. He's a chocolate young man, 6'4". And he drives in neighborhoods where people don't live, look the way he looks. And there's this tendency in me to be like, whoa, where's he at right now? And God's not asking me to live like that. Not with fear. He may ask me to live with wisdom, but wisdom and fear are not the same thing. And so here's this little song I wrote years and years ago, and it's just simply a chorus. God of mercy. God of compassion. Stand here broken So open the heavens And come down God of mercy God of compassion We stand here shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And so even when my flesh wants to go one way or the other, y'all know what I'm talking about, I've got to learn how to surrender to the Spirit. I have to still teach my children to honor You know, one of the things that happens is that when we have a bad experience, we label a whole people based on a bad experience. If you can't say amen, say ouch. (laughs) I don't know. But that's not what God's called us to live into. And he says, how will they know that we're his disciples? By the love for one another. And he would even go deeper than that because Jesus, I mean, last week when you listened to what Doug talked about, and he gave us some hard charges. Like, love your enemies. 
and pray for them that persecute you unjustly. We do overcome by the blood. But it's our higher call. Amen. Hey, so uh, this morning we're going to continue the series Absolute in Luke chapter 7. And uh, just as another way of announcement, uh, we want to have an extended time of prayer, praying for our nation. And so this Tuesday, uh, Tuesdays at Grace will be a prayer service for our nation. And I'm inviting you out to pray with us because we need God to show up in our country. I'm going to say that again. We need God to show up in our country. And listen, uh, we really want to provide a safe space for us to share our hearts. Um, you, know, you know, not all of us are on the same page with everything. Uh, but we are one. God calls us, calls us to be one. And so we're going to share in one another's burden. And we're going to pray about it. So I invite you this Tuesday at 7 o'clock, be about 7 to 8.30. We'll probably start off with a couple of songs of worship and then, uh, you know, we'll kind of go into it. All right? So Luke chapter 7, verse number 1. After he had finished his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent him to his, him to, uh, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, "He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation." And he's the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. And as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her, and when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier. I'm sorry, the buyer. And the bear stood still and he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has arisen among us. 
and God has visited his people. This morning, title of the message is Reason to Hope. We have reason to hope. You know, at some point in our lives, we face something that is larger than our abilities. It takes more than our current resources. And we face something that is completely beyond us. And we must believe in something bigger than we are. See, I believe it was the case, it was this case for the centurion. Uh, and see, we know based on history and tradition that this centurion, uh, well, number one, we know he was wealthy because, or, or he had some kind of resources because he built the synagogue, right? We know that, uh, that he was educated because he could read and write, because in order to be a centurion, you have to be able to read orders, we know that he was skilled. Uh, in fact, they said that you have to be, uh, uh, you know, you have to be able to use your right hand and your left hand. He had great dexterity. Uh, he had to be large in size and strong. In order for a, to be in centurion, you, you, you have to be that. And uh, he had at least 100 men under his care. And lastly, he had to have the ability to follow orders. But every so often, we face something in our life that our talent and our skill cannot handle. Every so often, we, we face something in life that our network and our resources cannot handle. And this is what the centurion faced with this servant that he valued was in. He was in a situation that his, you, you know he was highly valued by the centurion. So you know the centurion was looking for the best doctors and they could not help. But the Bible says that he heard about Jesus. He began to believe in something that was greater than he was. Something more wonderful than he and he heard about Jesus, and it produced in him faith. Hebrews 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the convictions of things not seen. Faith is assurance. Faith is conviction. It's what we are convinced about. It's he, he's, he's confident so he can hope. He's convinced of what he doesn't see. The King James Version says it like this. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith is substance and faith is evidence. It's what we're convinced about. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now, the word substance there mean, it comes from two words. Uh, one word to be under, another word to be stand. In other words, uh, hope stands under, or I'm sorry, faith stands under hope. Faith gives me reason to hope. See, hope needs something to cling to. It needs something to stand on. And biblical faith is that which hope stands on. Faith stands under hope. It lifts up hope. It holds hope up. Maybe you read it this way. Why don't you turn to, uh, this is not on the slide, so if you open your Bibles to Hebrew, I'm sorry, Romans Chapter 4. 
Romans chapter 4. Starting at verse 18. Hope needs something. It needs foundation. And the foundation of hope is faith. It's this assurance. It's this confidence. It's this conviction. It's this evidence. Verse 18, in hope, speaking of Abraham, he believed against hope, which doesn't make sense. In other words, he was expecting something he shouldn't expect. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to his body. What does it say? He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. He hoped against hope. He hoped against hope. Something that doesn't make any sense. Why? Because he believed what he had been told. That he didn't consider his dead body and Sarah's barren womb. Now, to me, I think physiologically, Sarah is uh, about 90. Now, men and women are different in that men uh, have a, 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 a produce sperm. Well, women, when they're born, they have all the eggs that they'll ever have. So how many of y'all know that Sarah was past her cycle? She was way into hot flashes. I ain't talking about y'all. I'm talking about Sarah. Y'all tripping. I ain't said nothing about you. So when it says he didn't consider Sarah's bearing womb, listen, number one, she had never had a baby, and number two, she ain't had no more eggs. And the Bible says he did not waver in faith because he grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God. In other words, he kept his eyes upward and not situational. See, faith comes by hearing Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ or the revelation of Jesus. The revelation of Christ or the anointed one and his anointing. Faith comes by hearing. So in other words, if you want more faith, then you need to hear more about Jesus. If you want more faith, you need to hear more about God. Because Abraham gave glory to God. In other words, his opinion was about God and that's what was major in his mind and not his situation or his age or Sarah's barrenness. It's like, God, you stepped out into nothing and spoke and everything is here. That's what I'm going to think about. And as he gave glory to God, as he worshiped God, his faith was strengthened. 
Faith comes by hearing. And hearing through the revelation or the utterance of Christ. See, Jesus gives me reason to have faith. When I hear his words, when I see him in action, healing the sick, casting out demons, raising the dead, when I see him in action, it gives me reason to have faith. And because it gives me reason to have faith, it gives me reason to have hope. Listen, I know it's crazy out here. I know that the climate uh, is crazy and it's uncomfortable. But when I read the end of the book, it tells me that we win. So I got to shake myself out the mully grubs. I got to shake myself out the blues because God's already told me that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. In other words, he paid everything that I needed to handle all the things that's going to show up. So I win. Listen, when you know that you win, you have a different posture. When you know victory is coming, you know, you just, you know, sometimes you just got to laugh at stuff. Because it ain't over. Listen, I know it don't feel good. But what are we going to give glory to? God, you told me that we win. And all this I see, but Lord, that's not what I'm going to concentrate on. I'm going to give glory to God. He gives me reason to have faith. He gives me reason to hope. Listen. This is what was taking place with the centurion. The Bible says when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews asking him to come and heal his servant. Number one, he heard about Jesus. And number two, he invited Jesus into his mess. We have to ask the question, what has he heard? What did the centurion hear about Jesus? Maybe he heard that he turned water into wine. Maybe that's what he heard about Jesus. Maybe he heard that he heals Peter's mother-in-law. Maybe that's what he heard about Jesus. I'm sure that he, he heard that this man speaks differently than everybody else. That when he speaks, there's an, an authority with what he speaks. That maybe he heard that when he, he speaks and people touch him, that virtue flows from him, power flows from him, and he heals the sick. He ser- heard something about Jesus and said, listen, I need that Jesus right here and right now. Huh. I heard something. You know, there's some things in the story that he's a Gentile. Normal circumstances, Gentiles and and Jews don't like hang out. They don't like get along. And he's invited Jesus to his house. Now, a good Jew would not be under the roof of a Gentile. Yet he heard something about Jesus, that he's numbered with the transgressors. He's heard something about Jesus, that he hangs out with tax collectors and sinners. And if he'll hang out with them, well, he'll hang out with me. 
he's heard something about Jesus. He's heard that Jesus breaks the rules. That Jesus breaks barriers. He's heard something about Jesus like, ha, yeah, you can, you'll come to me. And he invited Jesus into his world because he heard something about him. I love what a famous theologian he said. He says, when people hear about what God used to do, one of the things that they say is, oh, that was a very long while ago. And he's like, but I thought God did. Has God changed? Is he not an immutable God, the same yesterday, today, and forever? He says, does not that furnish an argument to prove that what God has done at one time, he can do at another? Nay, I think I may push it a little further and say, what he has done once is prophecy of what he intends to do again. Whatever God has done is to be looked upon as precedent. So he says, let us with earnestness seek that God would restore to us the faith of the men of old, that we may richly enjoy his grace as in the days of old. Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon said, hey, what God has done is prophecy of what God will do again. So in other words, this uh, Roman centurion says, listen, if Jesus will do it over there, then Jesus will do it over here. I know that we... We know it in our minds, but we, are all, we don't always know it in our hearts. Like God shows no partiality. I mean, I am his favorite, but he doesn't show any partiality. <laughs> what have the centurion heard about Jesus? That he said what Jesus has done is a prophecy of what he would do again. I guess the real question is, what have you heard about Jesus? And are you going to live based on what you heard about Jesus, or are you going to live based on what you've experienced? Two different things. See, some of us, we live by our disappointment and our discouragement, but we don't live by what we heard about Jesus. Oh, y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. Uh-huh. Yeah, and so we say, well, God didn't do it, so God ain't going to do it. Or God didn't do it in the time frame that I expected God to do it, so he ain't going to do it. And so one of the things that we say, or we believe that the enemy of expectation is disappointment. And so instead of going from faith to faith, we go from disappointment to disappointment. But what have you heard about Jesus? In other words, have you read the scriptures and believe in the Jesus of the Bible and not Lord Jesus to your experience? So I've said it a few times. We say it do it like this. Listen, we never lower our theology to our experience. We must elevate our experience to our theology. And based on the book, Jesus is a healer. 
No, it raises some questions. And, you know, uh, because many of us got some questions because God didn't do what we thought he was going to do. And so now we start living by questions and not on answers. So in other words, when we pray and the person still dies, or we pray and they still get divorced, and we pray and they still leave home, now we live by our questions and not by our answers. But when you read the book, there's only one moment that it actually says, and Jesus could not do many miracles there. And it was because of their unbelief. In fact, Jesus marveled at their unbelief. It's like, wow. But every other time, when they brought people to him, guess what he did? He healed them. He cast out the demons. He raised the dead. So we have to learn how not to live from our questions, but live from the answer. And the answer is, is that Jesus is a is Savior. He is healer. He is deliverer. He breaks chains. He breaks fetters. Jesus, the, the, the same, he's not a different Jesus, y'all. Today, Jesus is a healer. He's a Savior. And he's a deliverer. He is a bondage breaker. He is. He's not different. Just because you live in 2016 doesn't mean you have watered down Jesus. He is not watered down. He is the same potent Jesus he was 2,000 years ago that was walking a neighborhood and the whole neighborhood would change because of his words and his power. So what have you heard about Jesus? What have you heard about Jesus? What have you heard about Jesus? To now you're like, oh, I'm going to put that right here. Why? So now I can have faith. Because you don't have faith apart from what you know about Jesus. Hmm. See, when you read the story, there, there are some, you know, you, you have to, what did this, not only what had he heard about Jesus, what did he know about Jesus? What did he know about Jesus? He knew that when Jesus speaks, things change. I'm going to check this out. Here it is, this Roman soldier calling Jesus Lord. What? Listen, in Rome, the only one that you call Lord and the only one that you actually put faith in was in Caesar. But here, this, uh, here, this Gentile centurion is saying, Lord. He's calling Jesus Lord. So he knew that when Jesus speaks, things happen, and he knew that Jesus was Lord. In fact, the way that he understood, he's like, listen, wait a minute. Me and Jesus are alike in this. Is that he's got, he's a man under authority, and he's got men under him. So Jesus would say, listen, I only do what I see my father doing, and I only say what I hear my father saying. In other words, Jesus was a son under authority. And when you read stuff like this, and you say that, you know what, Jesus, he goes and he visits the Gentile, and he only does what he sees his father doing and says what his father is saying, then you must have to believe that the father was saying to the centurion, I want your servant healed. 
So the centurion is understanding, wait a minute, this man is under authority and he has authority and all he has to do is just say the word. Because that's all the centurion had to do. All he had to tell one of his soldiers was, go do X, Y, and Z. And guess what? They did it. See, Mark says it a little bit, Matthew says it a little bit different. Matthew chapter 8. Same story, a few different nuances. I'll start at verse 8. Verse 13 will show up on the screen. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. But only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does that. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, what he's speaking about there, he's talking about Israel and how Israel is not believing. And so gnashing of teeth, that's, they live in regret because they didn't believe God. But when it comes to the centurion, he says this, and to the centurion Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. The word faith and the word believe there are the same word. And it may be a controversial statement to you, but sometimes we get the God we believe in. If you don't believe God heals, you probably won't get healed. If you don't believe that God wants to forgive you, you probably won't ask for forgiveness. And I get it. I get it. I know that there are moments that people of faith, that they die when we pray that God would heal them. But guess what? They still healed. People ain't in heaven walking with a limp. The scripture says there's no crying and dying there. There's no weeping there. The challenge is that we're on the other side and we're weeping. But the, tr the truth is, Paul says that we do not grieve as if we don't have hope. Amen. I want to say this statement, and I... Uh, I know it sounds brash and hard, but it's true. When our loved ones die, good for them if they know Jesus. Now, we don't like it. But they're not suffering. That's reality. They're not in pain. That's reality. Paul said it this way. He says, I would much rather go but for your sake, I'll stay. Because if we don't get our healing on this side, 
We get it on that side. The question is, will you act like you got your healing on this side? Will you believe God on this side? Will you trust God on this side? Hebrews chapter 11, towards the end of the, the great faith chapter, it says this, these all died in faith, not receiving what had been promised to them. In other words, will you die in faith? When things, when God's not on your time frame, will you still trust him? Will you still believe him? Will you still be convinced of him? What have you heard about Jesus? What do you know about Jesus? See, the truth is our hearing must become our knowing. And our knowing must become our believing. In other words, at some point with God, we have to get from head knowledge to heart knowledge. At some point in our belief, uh, trust becomes instinctive. Y'all understand it with me? And, I mean, Paul says that he wavered not, talking about Abraham. He wavered not when he, I don't know if they had a mirror, but I'm sure he walked by the river and looked down like, ooh, I am old. And he looked at Sarah and was like, you fine, but you old. <laughs> and he gave glory to God, and it strengthened him in faith. Now, I want to say this because some of us, we are cautious in our faith. And unfortunately, we, we, we because we've heard... Uh, People take faith to the extreme. We don't want people to believe too much. Because what if they get disappointed? See, that's the culture of unbelief. That's not a culture of faith. The Bible says it is impossible to please them. Without faith, is it impossible to please God. So faith is a component of pleasing God. And the scripture says that the just live by their faith or his faithfulness. Y'all all right? I'm almost done. <laughs> Last few verses, Luke chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Back to Luke. Now, a grown man had died, and he was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, so she had nobody. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the buyer, and the bearer stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Listen, in the Old Testament, you don't touch dead bodies. You don't touch dead things. Otherwise, you're unclean. 
But again, Jesus breaks the rules because there was enough power in him to make the dead thing live again and not make him dead. So listen, there are moments in your life that God's going to require you to have faith. But there are other moments in your life you're just going to rely on the compassion of God because he is compassionate. He is compassionate. Remember what we said, that Jesus only does what he sees who do? The Father. And he only says what he hears the Father say. So if Jesus is moved with compassion, what do you think the Father is moved? He's moved with compassion. Hebrews chapter 13. It says, remember your leaders or your elders in their way of life. Consider their way of life. Imitate their faith. For Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What does that mean? It means what Spurgeon said. He says, remember your elders or those that have gone before you and consider their way of life. Imitate their faith. Imitate their assurance. Imitate their conviction. Imitate their confidence. Why? Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. In other words, what God did for them he will do for you. <laughs> Let me read this real quickly. I know y'all ready to go home. It's all right. Yeah, that's what you're saying. Somebody else is like, hurry up, bro. Verse 6 says, and, and I will never, verse 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? How many of you know that right now in our nation, we need to say, the Lord is our helper, right? I will not fear. What can man do to me? Then he says, remember, remember, take note of, be reminded of your leaders, those who spoke to you, the word of God. And uh, he can says, consider the, the outcome of their way of life, that there, there was an outcome the way they lived. And imitate that faith, because if God will do it for them, he'll do it for you. If God will heal them, he'll heal you. If God will deliver them, he'll deliver you. Why? Because the Lord is our helper. The Lord is our helper. The Lord is our helper. And he shows no partiality. Take note of their way of life and the outcome and imitate their faith. And what God did for them is a prophecy of what God desires to do for you. So why don't you just lift your hands to him. You don't have to stand up.
And just pray, God, would you do it again? God, would you do it again? The prophet said, God, I've heard of what you've done in times past. Would you renew them in our day and in our time? God, would you do it again? We stand here broken. Come down. God of mercy. God of pray that you would heal every disappointment. And God, that there would be this new trajectory that we would be on. We wouldn't go from disappointment to disappointment, but we would go from faith to faith. From trust to trust. And God, where there's death in some bodies here, Lord, I pray that you would heal by your spirit. In the name of Jesus. Lord, there's disease in this room, and it doesn't belong here. And I pray that you would touch. God, that you would heal the kidney. That's dysfunctioning. God, that you would do that even now in the name of Jesus. Mm. And may we experience your love all the more. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you. Have a super Sunday. And uh, I hope to see you Tuesday.